Matthew 6, verse 9, the word of the Lord says this. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. May we be blessed by reading God's word this morning. You may be seated. Before we really go anywhere, I'd like to just take some time to pray for our time this morning. Uh, If you've been with us or following us online, you'll be aware that we've been praying for a youth pastor as well. And so let's go to the Lord in prayer expectantly for what he would have for us this morning. Father, as we've just seen a prayer recorded by your disciples almost 2,000 years ago, God, it is applicable for us today as a template for how to address you as our Father and how to pray. And as we will look at what it looks like to have your will be done, we ask that that would be true. Even in our search for a youth pastor, God, that we would have someone raised up within the body that's already here I would have a passion for youth and for children. It would be filled with wisdom and passion. And that they would come forward and that we would use discernment in having them lead our children. And God, if there's no one that comes from within our congregation, that you would bring a family, God. That's the second way that we hope that you will provide this individual for us, that a family will come to our church who has a passion for youth. And God, ultimately, if there's no one that you bring, may we go and seek in wisdom an individual who loves you, who loves your word, who is faithful to you, and can model faithfulness to our youth, to the generation upcoming that needs desperately to hear and stand on your word. And God, I'm just reminded this morning of the pain and the loss that some members of our congregation are going through and experiencing. God, I know as we gather and we are human beings, there's anxiety, there's depression, there's doubt, there's shame, there's guilt. We are a group and a gathering, not of individuals who have arrived, but of individuals who are arriving. Part of that arriving is failing. And so, I ask that we would approach your word and your throne honestly this morning, not flippantly and not um, in arrogance or pride, but in humility as we look at what it looks like to obey your will. I ask as I have this task of discussing your will that you hem me in and protect me from falsehood, from anything that would not line up with who you have revealed yourself to be. I pray this would be a word of encouragement and that we would leave here edified as your church. We ask all these things in your name. Amen. So as we've been going through the Lord's Prayer, uh, as I said, we're kind of diverting from the shortened or condensed version. Oh, yes, children, you can go ahead and be dismissed at Children's Church if you're going to go. If you guys are going to stay here, thank you. Thank you, Jonathan, for that cue, the cue of getting up and taking children out. 
We're departing from Luke. Luke is a more condensed version of the Lord's Prayer, and so um, this is the first, and I believe maybe only departure that we'll take out of the Gospel of Luke, and so we're in Matthew 6, because there's this portion of the Lord's Prayer that is present here and not in Luke, and it's really, uh, as, as we've looked at and Todd and I have studied, we see that there are six petitions, six requests, six asks that Jesus is modeling for us and how to pray to God, and so the first portion, what Todd looked at, was how to address God. And so Jesus gives us this, this, uh, this name, this designation of Father. And so Todd started looking through that. And, and then we saw that the first petition that we see in the Lord's Prayer is in verse 9. It's the second portion of the verse. It says, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, or holy, or set apart be your name. That's the first request, the first petition. The second petition Todd taught on last week is your kingdom come in verse 10. And then what we'll be looking at today is what's known as the third petition of this great prayer, which is your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Petition four, five, and six we'll be getting to in the coming weeks, but they're dealing with provision. Verse 11, it said, give us this day our daily bread. Pardon in verse 12 and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors, and then protection, verse 13, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. It was, I believe, Luther who first noticed, of course, leave it to Martin Luther, who first noticed that there's a similarity in the way that this prayer is structured and the way that even God gave us the Ten Commandments. And so the first three petitions, wrapping up in, in verse 10, is how we are to relate to God. And so we see, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And then what Todd will begin to show us starting next week is that there's a transition from how we are to relate towards God to how we are to have our needs and relationship flushed out horizontally with people. And Luther made the connection that uh, this structure is similar to the Ten Commandments. The first five commandments are how to have right relationship and communion with God, and the latter five are how to re have relationship with other people. And interestingly, this is one of the petitions that in my study, I've, I've seen that some commentators actually almost kind of lump this up with a petition from before. So your kingdom come, and then this one, your will be done on earth as in heaven, is really a byproduct of his kingdom coming. We in this day and age have this tension that we sit in when we talk about the kingdom of God, because as Jesus said, the kingdom of God is at hand, right? And so there's this uh, even, Rob, I was hearing you teach this morning, and in your study, you kind of mentioned this phrase. This is common uh, when looking at the kingdom of God. is this phrase of already and not yet. Okay, And so we have the kingdom of God that's established. That's what Jesus came to do in his first advent. right? That's what we celebrate at Christmas. That is his establishment of the kingdom of God here on earth, which is the church. And yet there's still this tension that we await of there's part of the kingdom of God that's here, and yet they're very... Uh, if you look outside, it's very obvious and apparent that there's a portion of the kingdom of God that is yet to come. And so that's what Jesus is inviting us to pray for, is not just uh, the kingdom that is here, but the kingdom that is to come, the already and the not yet. We see that there is a promise of more kingdom to come, that this isn't all that Jesus established, because in Revelation given to John in Revelation 21 and 22 there's this vision of a new Jerusalem. There is a recreation, if you will, of a new 
a, a new creation that is promised to come where there will be no earthly kingdoms, there will be his kingdom. And so while we await that, there is still this tension of not yet. And so I have the um, audacious uh, responsibility this morning to talk about this idea of the will of God. We see in this verse 10, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now this idea of will shares its root in the Latin origin with the word wish, right? We kind of Think of it, maybe you do the way that I do, of, of a legal will, right? So there's the document that some of us have made so that our property, our possessions are given to people who we want to at the correct time and in the correct way. And so this is really what we're trying to communicate when we look at your will be done. But there's this, there's this beautiful tension that we have in Scripture where there is a sovereign God and a sovereign will, and yet Scripture also makes it very clear that we have a will ourselves, that God, in making us in his image, has given us the ability to make choices and make decisions. And so we have to wrestle with this tension because without understanding what it means by your will be done, we'll miss the content of this prayer. And so there's two types of wills when looking at God that most theologians uh, really kind of filter the word through. The first is what's called a decretive will. I'm hope, I hope I'm saying that right. It's spelled almost like decretive, but decretive will. It's where we get the word decree from. So this is the will of God where he simply says something and it happens. Okay, So this is the sovereign will or the efficacious will. This is the will that will always come to pass, and there is no will that can contest it, okay? So when we have this idea of a sovereign, it's kind of hard for us in our demographic because we have not been in a monarchy. We don't have a person or an individual who can simply say something and nobody can bring opposition to that. Nobody has counsel that can check that. We have checks and balances. Well, this idea of a decretive will or a sovereign will is really what we see in like the creation story, for example. So when God says, when he wills, let there be, then there is, right? So let there be light, and there was light, and it was good, right? And so this is what we see in the Genesis story. And yet there's an element of this decretive will that because God is infinite and higher than us, we will not be able to grasp and understand. Maybe you have had experiences in your life where something happens and yet you can't really reconcile how God is at work in that. Anybody relate to that? Whether it's a sickness or a loss or a decision that was made, whatever it is, it's hard to really grasp how God could be sovereign in that because we can't make sense of it. That is what will is talking about. It is a will that cannot and will not be contested. This, for me, as a believer, is one of the grounding truths that I have found in all of Scripture, knowing that at the end of the day, there is a holy and a good God who, no matter what or who makes a decision here, is not going to contest that. Okay? So, but there is an element, because God is infinite, where there is will of God that is hidden from us. We see this in Deuteronomy 29, verse 29. Moses, the author, writes this, 
the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever that we may do all the words of this law. And so we have this idea of we can know God truly, but we cannot know God fully. We cannot begin to grasp infinity as finite creatures. We see this in the story of Joseph. So this decretive will is often one that we can discern in hindsight. So I would not be able to, looking at the story of Joseph as we did in Genesis a few months ago, be able to uh, declare or discern what God's will is in Joseph being sold to slavery. Or being sold to slavery, then being accused of rape and sexual assault on Potiphar's wife, or then being put in prison and then forgotten about again. I wouldn't be able to discern that will, but then Joseph himself in Genesis 50 says, what you intended for evil, God what? Intended for good. And so we see that there is this will that is hidden that no matter what decisions man is making, they cannot contest his. Job 42.2 says, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Genesis 20, verse 6, this is when Abram is uh, deceitful to Abimelech, uh, the pharaoh of Egypt at the time, and he uh, does not tell the pharaoh that Sarai is his wife. And so there's this interchange, and Abimelech almost sins with Sarai, committing adultery. But it says in Genesis 20, verse 6, then God said to him in the dream, him being Abimelech, yes, I know that you have done this in the integrity of your heart, and it was I who kept you from sinning against me. Therefore, I did not let you touch her. And so we have will, and yet we see that even in our will, we cannot contest this will of sovereignty. Proverbs 21.1 says, The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. Like the rivers of water, he turns it wherever he wishes. The significance of that, the king's heart would have been the highest will in the land. And so if God could even sway the king's heart, he can swing any heart in front of him. Exodus 10, 20, the word says that, but the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart and he did not let the people of Israel go. So we have this will, and yet for me, there is such hope in knowing that as a sovereign God, at the end of the day, my will will always come loose. Amen? One of my favorite examples of this is the story of Nebuchadnezzar and Daniel. So in Daniel 4, 34 and 35, Nebuchadnezzar himself writes this. So Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, arguably greatest kingdom to ever be, hanging gardens, one of the seven wonders of the world. And it says this, at the end of the days, after his humiliation, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven and my reason returned to me. And I blessed the most high and praised and honored him who lives forever. And this is talking about his, his sovereign will here. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. And what? He does according to his will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? So we have this sovereign will, and yet Scripture also makes it abundantly clear that there is a 
revealed will. So there's a hidden will and then there's a revealed will. The revealed will is what we look at when we see special revelation. Here we, we can explicitly say that there are things that will never make sense about God's nature and what he wants for us. And then there is an entire book of things that he does want us to follow and we, ways that we are to be obedient. And so when we have this idea of revealed will, now comes in this, this idea of we have a will, God has a will, and in the revealed will, or what theologians call a preceptive will, the will containing God's laws and precepts, this is the will that is given to us in his disclosure of his nature and character through scripture, but this is the will that can be disobeyed. This is the will that we disobey when we sin. Seeking God is a matter of wisdom, though, not knowledge, because as we've just been talking about, there's a portion of his will that is hidden. And so he gives us principles of how to follow. But I don't know if you know this. Has anybody ever like taken um, uh, something where like a decision to make and like tried to find the verse in here that tells you what decision to make? Anybody ever do that? Like with a job or maybe a romantic partner, right? You're looking and I'm like, maybe Romans 528 will tell me if I'm supposed to marry Julie or not, right? Like there's no, there's no like knowledge that tells you exactly what to do in most circumstances. And yet we do have this revealed will of how God intends us to operate little minor things like the world would be better if you guys don't murder each other, you know, if you guys, you know, don't, don't lie and steal from each other. When you treat sexuality in this way as I've created and intended it to be, and so there is this will that's revealed. And so the question then becomes, when Jesus is inviting us, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, one of the questions that I came across in my study is, why do we need to pray as it is in, on earth as it is in heaven if God's will is already going to be done, whether I want it to or not, right? If, if I can't really contest it, what's the point in even praying and asking for it? And this is where I, I would submit, and I believe the reason that this is a part of the prayer is because in heaven, the revealed will of God, not just the sovereign, but the revealed will of God is being perfectly, expediently, and joyously obeyed by the beings that are there. And there is the kingdom that is here and not yet, and so there is a portion of God's kingdom that is here, i.e. the church, who is obeying his will and yet is being disobedient to his will. So Jesus seems to be speaking of this revealed will that can be disobeyed and asking that the beings here, that us as the church would grow and continue to manifest his will here on earth as it is in heaven. That we would grow, that we would not just obey, but eagerly obey. And that we would anticipate, that we would expect that as we pray this prayer, your kingdom continually come until your second coming. Your will continually growing in. Because when we look out there, it's really obvious, like I said before, that God's will is not being done on earth. Turn on the news. Look at social media. We see decisions people are making, things that are happening that is obvious and clear that God's will is not being done and the world is suffering for it. 
One commentator writes this, when we pray your will be done on earth as in heaven, we are aware, it is making us aware of how God's will is not being done in our world. We are asking God to overcome this contradiction. We're asking him to act in such a way that life on earth increasingly resembles the peaceable and joyous life of God in heaven. We are asking essentially that how God is here would become more and more like what it is there. This isn't about getting our requests known. This is about God manifesting himself here. Because the world would look vastly different the more his will is done here. Amen? Another theologian, David Wells, puts it this way. Petitionary prayer, this is the third petition of the Lord's Prayer, flourishes where there is a twofold belief. First, that God's name is hallowed too irregularly, his kingdom has come too little, and his will is done too infrequently. But we have to believe and recognize in this prayer, there's something that's wrong here. This is not how it's supposed to be. And then the second belief is that God himself can change the situation. That is what this prayer, the Lord's Prayer, is reminding us of. The already and not yet. There is a portion that's here, and yet it's very obvious that there is a portion that is not. And asking God, please um, reconcile the differences. I want to take us to Luke chapter 18. So if you will, turn with me to Luke 18. This is where Todd started our prayer series. When we pray this prayer, I would caution you, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, because it is a prayer that can lead to blessing, as we'll see in Luke 18. So Luke 18, starting in verse 1, this is the parable of the widow. Verse 1, and he, being Jesus, told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and to not lose heart. And he said, in a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversary. Verse 4, for a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, though I neither fear God, nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says, and will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? So the reason I believe that the Man in this parable, what Jesus is trying to articulate to us, that he acquiesces, is because it's in line with his will. So there will be times when we ask specifically for God's will to be done and how we believe that to take place, that it will happen and it will come to pass. And yet, as we are about to see in another passage, when we pray this prayer, it is very possible and likely, and this is the caution when you pray this, just know, that the way the prayer is answered may not be how we want it to be. 
So turn with me now to Matthew chapter 26. In this part of Jesus' ministry, to give you a little backdrop of what we're about to jump into, Matthew 26, we'll be looking starting in verse 39. This is the portion of Jesus' earthly ministry where he has forsaken the crowds and he has been working just closely with the 12 disciples and he is on the road towards his crucifixion. Matthew 26, starting in verse 39. So this is Jesus praying in the Garden of Gethsemane before he is arrested. And going a little further, this is verse 39, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping, and he said to Peter, So could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Verse 42 again, for a second time, he's already made the petition to God. God, if this can pass, please let it pass. Yet not my will, but yours be done. We see in verse 42 again for the second time, he went away and prayed, My father, if this cannot, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. In Luke's account of this passage, when he prays, uh, an angel comes down and, and strengthens him because it says in Luke twenty two forty four, being in agony, he prayed more earnestly and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. So distressing can this process be of submitting and surrendering our will to his will, and yet I believe that is the core of what Jesus is inviting us to do in this prayer, your will be done on earth as in heaven, because in heaven it's being perfectly obeyed. So God, we need you to do what only you can do and make your will done on earth by bending the will of men to be in accordance with your own. The point of petitionary prayer, one um, commentator writes, that the point of petitionary prayer is not to try to convince God to do something he otherwise would not do. Luther, Martin Luther, insisted that instead, asking for God's kingdom and will to be made manifest, which they would be regardless of our efforts, is about stretching our hearts so that we may learn to desire truer, greater realities. I'll put it this way to summarize that. I've heard prayer described this way. Petitionary prayer is not about getting man's will done in heaven. It is about getting God's will done on earth. So it's, in essence, what we're asking in this prayer, what Jesus is inviting us to pray, is God, change my will, make me the things you want. Because when my will is aligned with his, the world out there looks vastly and drastically different. Our um, benediction that I'll read in just a moment, you know, we, we've heard this phrase a lot and it's misconstrued often. 
this idea of God giving us the desires of our heart. Maybe you've heard that or seen that knit on a pillow or on a coffee mug somewhere. Those are two places it likes to show up. But when we look at Psalm 37, 4, the first portion of that verse says, delight yourself in the Lord. Be continually asking God to bring my will into subjection of his because when my will is aligned with his, the things that God wills tend to be much better for me in my life than the things I will. So, it's short. There's not many words to look at. We're talking about a huge, grand concept, an idea this morning of the will of God. So I would leave you with this. Recognize first and foremost that there is a God who is sovereign. And his will is going to get done. Amen? It's good news. To the believer, that's not something that's meant to make you cower in fear. It's meant to encourage you to rejoice in recognizing it doesn't matter who's in office. It doesn't matter who my boss is. It doesn't matter who has it out for me at the end of the day. As Joseph himself said in Genesis 50, what you intended for evil, God intended for good. Paul encourages us in Romans 8 that he works out all things for the good of those that he has called and chosen. So recognize and rest in the fact that when God decrees something, there's no will that can contest it, including our own. And the second, the invitation in this prayer, is for us to be a church, a group of believers who ask and want Our wills, the wills of the church, and the wills of people even outside of the church, unbelievers, to be bent to and subject to his good and gracious will. Because our world desperately needs love, grace, forgiveness, things that aren't naturally, inherently part of our fallen nature. Things that we don't often will on people. And yet when we bring our will into subjection to a holy and good and righteous and gracious God, the world will look as it is supposed to. And then we can also pray that God will come quickly and manifest the kingdom fully that he has promised so frequently in Scripture. So with that, you guys will bow your heads with me. We go to the Lord. Pray. God, so often my own will runs riot. And when I look back on decisions I've made apart from you and apart from the wisdom that you've given to me through your word, they have ended in catastrophe and disaster. And when I look back on decisions that I've made through wisdom, through godly counsel, through relying on wisdom from men and women around me and from your word, when I subject myself to your will, joy, grace, and peace abound. And so we pray along with Jesus, along with all of those who have prayed this prayer and will pray this prayer, we ask desperately that you would make your will reflect here as beautifully and wonderfully as it is in heaven at this moment. That as you desire something or declare something, and in heaven it is obeyed immediately, God, we ask that that would be true here more and more and more as we await in this tension of your kingdom being here 
and yet we wait for it. So God, we ask that you would do what only you can do in your good and sovereign will, which is make your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Be good to us. Encourage us this morning. We ask all these things in your name. Amen. You guys rise for the benediction. For the sake of my voice, we won't have a song. I don't even know if I could sing at this point. So, Our benediction this morning, as promised, is just a short passage from Psalm 37.4. May this be true of us this morning. Delight yourself in the Lord. And in doing so, He will give you the desires of your heart. Hope to see you guys Wednesday, if not next week. Grace and peace to you guys.